This is KMTT, and this is Ezra Beck, and this is the Shia on Pashat HaShavua. This week's Pashat is Pashat Yitro. Pashat Yitro, at least part of it, is about Yitro, which makes sense, but not that much sense, since Chazal questioned the applicability of naming a Pasha after Yitro. Why was a Pasha named after Yitro? And it explained because Yitro did something very important. The idea of having a Pasha name for somebody apparently required explanation. Some people would think it's called Yitro because his name appears in the first in the first Pasuk, uh, Yishma Yitro Kohen Midian. But we could have called the Pasha, I guess, Yishma or something else. What is important? Why is Yitro important enough to write about in the Torah? And I'll ask the question somewhat more generally. Why is Yitro important enough to exist? In other words, all the figures in the Torah had fathers-in-law. Most of them aren't mentioned. It's true that here in this parasha, Yidro comes to visit. <laughs> Most of the people in the Torah, their father-in-laws visited. What is so significant about Yidro's visit? At this point, we're in an extremely delicate, dramatic, hardly uh, uh, a place for side stories in the Torah, where between Kriyat Yamsuf and Matan Torah, last week's Pasha was Kriyat Yamsuf, this week's Pasha, what do we remember? Matan Torah, Har Sinai. And you have this episode of Yitro, who comes to visit, and uh, he talks a little bit. So what, one, one answer, which is, this is true, and Chazal on it, was that on the second day of Yitro's visit, Vahid HaMochorat, and the next day, uh, Yitro notices Moshe Rabbeinu has a long line of people coming to see him, to ask him Shailis or to have a Din Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu is busy the entire day without any break in dealing with the complaints, trials, suits, questions of Ben Esau. And he says to him, you're going to be worn out, and he gives him the suggestion of hiring other people. And that suggestion is important because it's the basis of the uh, judicial system in Israel, of having Sanhedrin and other Bateidin, and uh, smaller Bateidin, and leaders, and, and how to delegate authority. Very, very important. So that could be the answer. He gave Moshe Rabbeinu this suggestion. And the truth is, that in the beginning of Devarim, Parshat Devarim, where what appears to be the same point, the same story is being made, Yitro isn't mentioned. There it says, Moshe Rabbeinu complains to God that I'm being worn out. And God says to him, appoint other people to assist you, to have uh, other judges in, in Israel. doesn't mention that Yitro made the, made, the, uh, made the point, Yitro made the suggestion. So, it's possible to tell the story without mentioning Yitro. The story itself might be important. It's very important to know where, where judges come from in Israel. But our question is, why do we care who made the suggestion? And why specifically is it connected to Yitro? So, again, you might answer, okay, there's nothing special about Yitro doing it, but he did it, and therefore the Torah gives him credit. It's important to give credit to the right person. My real problem with this is that, okay, that's the second day. But the story isn't really about the second day. It doesn't appear to be. The first day is described very dramatically in the Torah. Yitro comes, and it gives us the details. He didn't come, and the next morning he woke up and saw that Moshe was busy. If it was written that way, this, it's come to tell us Yitro came, and uh, eventually gave Moshe the suggestion. Here it says Yitro comes, and he 
brings Moshe's children to Moshe. And Moshe goes out and greets him. And Moshe tells him a little story about everything that's taken place with the Jews since I guess they last saw each other when Moshe left Yitro in Midian. In other words, the entire story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And then Yitro gives a bracha. Vayomer Yitro, pasuk yud, bruch Adonai asher hitzil etchem miyad Mitzrayim miyad paro, asher hitzil et ha'am hazeh, asher hitzil et ha'am mitachad yad Mitzrayim. Yitro makes a bracha. And then they, uh, there's a sacrifice, and Aaron and Kozik Neisel come and have a meal with Moshe, and then the next morning he gets up and makes a suggestion. It's told in great detail, and a certain amount of drama, a, a grand statement by Yitro, a grand statement by Moshe beforehand, tells him everything would take in place, in detail, it kol, kol ha-tila'a What's important about the fact that he came? What is Yitro's coming to Moshe as described in detail? The meal, the kissing, the bracha. Why, why is that important? What are we supposed to learn from that? The Gemara says um, about this encounter, about the bracha that Yitro made, Gnaihu le Moshe it is a a black mark. It is a demerit on Moshe and the entire Jewish people, the 600,000 uh, Jews, that they did not say a bracha about Yitziat Mitzrayim. Only Yitro did. In other words, the Gemara is saying that Yitro did something which hadn't been done beforehand. He made a bracha. In fact, the commentaries interpret this statement, perhaps, perhaps unnecessarily, but the commentaries insert the same with the saying, at least on the first reading, that Yitro was the first person to make a bracha at all. Now, technically, that's not true. Uh, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham Avinu, when told that Betuel's family agreed that Rivka could go and marry Yitzchak, said... Baruch Hashem Elokei Abraham. He made a bracha to God for having arranged, for having remembered Abraham, and uh, arranged that he could find a suitable bride for Yitzchak. There's an earlier bracha in the Torah. Malkitzedek Melech Shalem, when meeting Avraham Avinu after the war, Avraham's war against the four kings. And Avraham returns victorious, and he meets Malkitzedek, Malkitzedek says, among other things, Baruch Hashem Elokei Abraham, Shemigel Mutzarecha Beyadecha. He also gives a bracha to God for having helped and saved and saved Abraham, Abraham Avinu. The answer to that question, in other words, why does the Gemara, as the commentators interpreted it, saying that he made the, Yitro made the first bracha when the were peace brachas, is to refer to the Gemara in Bachot. Dafnun Vav, the last pack of Bachot, lists all kinds of Bachot that we're supposed to say. What's called Birkot Hodaya. Birkot of praise to God for various occurrences, various things that you see. Uh, lightning, thunder, great mountains, big seas. And one of them is, Haro'eh, Makom Shinna'asu Nisim La'avoteinu, Mivarech, Sha'asa La'avoteinu Nesva Makom Azeh. 
About that, the Gemara asks, what's the source? And the Gemara answers, Yitro. So this bracha, as it turns out, could be the other brachot, but bracha al hanes was Yitro's innovation. No one had made a bracha al hanes on a miracle, as Yitro did here, after hearing a story of the, uh, everything that took place in Mitzrayim. Yitro said, Baruch Hashem etzilletchem miyad Mitzrayim miyad paro. He said, Blessed be God who has saved you from Egypt and from Paro. So that was apparently a genuine innovation. And uh, that apparently is the reason why the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that uh, uh, somewhat ashamedly, well, Moshe should have done it, but y- Yitro was the one who first did it. Why is that so special? I mean, so uh, there, there are like dozens of reasons to make a bracha. Why get so excited about the bracha al-hanes? So the truth is, um, there's a difference between a bracha al-hanes and other, and other bracha. The Nitziv, he interprets it slightly differently, and I'm going to in a, in a little while, but the, his first point I wish to adopt, the, the Nitziv says that it's, it's based, the Nitziv's theory is based on a particular theory of bracha, which I'm going to mention because it's interesting. Uh, I don't think it's necessary for explaining what I'm going to explain, but the Nitziv thought it was. The Nitziv says that the expression of beracha, when we make a beracha, we bless, so to speak, God, we are literally, and in truth, blessing God, meaning we're adding something. We're adding power. We're adding presence. We're adding blessing to God Himself. Uh, the Nitziv, as most of you know, was Rosh Hashiv and Velazhin, and at this point is made extensively in the Nefesh HaChaim of Avchaim and Mivalazhin. That God's presence in the world, God's power in the world, is literally, literally dependent on, on those who bless Him, those who recognize Him. And so Bacha is to add power to God. So Nitzvah said, that makes sense for other Bachot, which are about nature, you see something which is there. You see the great sea. You see tall mountains. You see majestic waterfalls. You hear thunder. You see lightning. And you say, they're all different versions of the, of, you know, of the, each individual bracha, but in the end they all come down to Oseb Bereshit. You recognize that a natural occurrence is really God. In other words, you're, you, by making the bracha, are disclosing making revealed the hidden presence of God. That's a regular bracha. You see lightning, many people would say lightning is lightning. But we feel an imperative to say, wow, this is God's hand in the world. God made the great mountains. Or even something even even simpler, a piece of bread. So many people would say, bread, it grows in the ground. And we say, Baruch Hashem hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. The bread didn't just come from the ground, God brought it out of the ground. So basically we're explaining nature by seeing the hidden hand of God in it. That makes sense according to the Nitziv's theory, because he says what we're doing is we're making God, he used the word stronger, we're making God more present by taking God from the hidden recesses covered over by the natural process, the skies, and explicitly saying, you bring bread out of the ground. So we're making God more present in the world. We, are, we ourselves are making God more present in the world. But a miracle is different because in a miracle, it's, it's not nature. It's anti-nature. The miracle was God's visible hand in the world. 
Now, without being too clear, when I read it, it wasn't to show what he was meaning to say. I think this is what he was trying to say. That that doesn't apply to a regular bracha. You can't add. You can't add to it. What's there to add to that? God split the sea, and everybody saw it. When we say, "Ah, oh, you God, Baruch Ata," that you split the sea, we're not we're not adding or changing anything. And therefore, the Jews didn't do it till till Yitro did it. The Tzid doesn't explain what's so special. Or in, in other words, like, so then why is it done if it doesn't fit into the theory? So I, I want to take half of the Tzid said, namely the difference between nature and miracle. And without using the somewhat Kabbalistic theory of adding to God's presence, but, but to make another point, when, as, as the Mephashim in Sanhedrin point out, what, what's so terrible about the Jews and Moshe Rabbeinu not saying a bracha? They said something else. They said Shivat Hayam. They said the song of the sea in Pashat B'Shalach. It wasn't as if they were not paying attention. God split the Red Sea and these jaded Jews just took it in stride. They didn't take it in stride. First of all, it says that when they saw the Egyptians dying in the sea, this is the direct cause of their faith because of their experience in the Red Sea. Therefore, they believed in God and in Moshe, his servant. Two, right afterwards, Az Yashir Moshe Uvenei Yisrael et Hazot. It was Moshe and the Shishim Ribo, both. They uh, recited the beautiful, moving, dramatically appealing song of the sea, which clearly refers to God being responsible. Uh, you're the one who did this. They had a good response. So the answer is, yeah, but they didn't say bracha. They didn't say baruch Hashem. They said something else. You have to understand the difference. So, uh, is, is, it, is it the problem of the word? Yitro was the first person to think of the word baruch. So I think the answer is as follows. The Jews had a proper attitude towards their experiences. Surely from now on, maybe even beforehand, uh, when they ate a piece of bread, they made a bracha. They recognize that God is behind all the events that took place. Nature doesn't exist on its own. And having been saved in the splitting of the sea, in terms of what happened to them... Yes, it, it changed their attitude towards God. Now, now, they experienced it and they now inculcated, they absorbed that lesson deeply and they knew they could trust God, they could count on God, they could count on Moshe Rabbeinu as well. Very important for the continuation of the story because they're going to have to be dependent on Moshe Rabbeinu, both for Torah and also to get through the desert. The Bacha al Hanes, a Bacha on a miracle, as an Atzit points out, is not designed to re-educate us about the hidden aspect of a natural occurrence. We're not pointing out something which might be missed. The B'cha'alanes is a reaction to God's revealed presence. And God's revealed presence here is not an interpretation of nature, Understanding it's not part of nature. It's the overturning of nature, of which Kriyat Yamsuf is considered very often in, in the language of Chazal, 
to be the ultimate expression, both in its power and perhaps in its drama. God showed total mastery over the natural process. It's the opposite of a regular bracha. It's not seeing God as being part of, part of his, problematic to say, not God as behind the natural process, and therefore we reveal him in the natural process, but we're seeing God as negating the natural process, as abolishing the natural process, as abrogating the laws of nature. And what point of that? The point of that is, first of all, awe. It's, it's to realize that everything we knew till now wasn't true. The truth that we knew till now is only partially or temporarily true, but there's an ultimate truth that's the exact opposite. Till now we thought, rain falls from the sky, the sun, shine, the sun rises in the east. And we said, yeah, God is responsible for that. But now we realize, who said the sun rises from the east? Who says there's a sun at all? If it does rise, it rises wherever God will put it. And maybe it's today water will end. Everything we knew has become extremely tentative. To, to a certain extent, it's become false. There's a revolution which is caused by the miracle. It's not, it's not material for us to explain. It's material for us to realize how misguided we've been till now. And this is in fact what Yitro says. Because there are two psukim in Yitro's exclamation. One he says, classic bracha, Baruch Adonai Asher Yitzil Etchem Miyad Mitzrayim Miyad Parosh Yitzil Amitachad Yad Mitzrayim. Hashem, who has saved the Jews. Atayadati, now I know, Ki Gadol Adonai Mikol HaElohim Ki Vadavar Asher Zadu Aleyhem. And he said, now, notice the word now. Wow, all of a sudden, now I realize. I mean, he was, he was a firm, I guess a guy. He was a firm guy till now. He's a good guy, Yitro. We like him. Moshe and he have spent a lot of time together. The years are mentioned in the Torah, but it's, it's dozens of years since Moshe is years old now. And when he fled Mitzrayim to go to Yitro's house, he was young. Let's guess he was 20. There's 60 years together. And it was a fine person. The Medrash says that's why his daughters were being attacked by the other women because he had left the Bodhisattva and was worshipping God. About Atayadati, now, after, after hearing about the splitting of the sea, I know that Hashem is greater than all the gods, meaning all the powers, greater than everything, creating all the powers and strengths and, 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 and causes in the world because he's overturned the world. And that's what lies behind the words Baruch Hashem. Okay, so that's something that's really new. The question is now, how come we needed Yitro for that? And here I think is the true lesson of the Pasha. Sometimes we need somebody to come like Yitro from the outside. The whole point of Yitro is that he's not Jewish. That he wasn't at Yitziat Mitzrayim. The Pasha begins with the word Vayishma Yitro. Of course, we know he wasn't there because he wasn't there. But the Pasha makes a point of it. The, as the Jews experienced Kriyat Yamsuf, Yitro heard about Kriyat Yamsuf. 
you'll say, well, that's too bad. That, that, that's a lesser status. A lesser experience. You're probably right. And not only did he hear about it, and that's why he came, but when he then meets Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu tells it to him again. So his response of the bracha is in response to being told about it. Moshe told his father-in-law all that God had done to Paro and Mitzrayim, all, apparently in detail. Everything he told him. It's a lot of details here. There's ten plagues. And then what happened when they left Mitzrayim? All of the uh, anguish and troubles they had on the way. And then, and then it says, So you say, we had a better experience. But that's really the point. We were in the experience. When you're in the experience, so if you're, if you're sharp, and the Jews were sharp, you'll interpret it properly. It's really hard to miss the point in Kriyat Yamsuf. Obviously, you know God's behind it because it's different, because it's a miracle. But whatever took place, they said, wow, God did this for us. And it affects, very important, it affects your relationship with God. They now have faith. They know now and they feel now that they can trust and they will trust God. Very, very important. But because they were part of the experience, they failed to see, they failed to, they failed to feel, they failed to absorb how much this experience is out of their normal experience. In other words, Yitziat Yitzrayim fits in to what the Jews are doing. Ten makot, ten plagues beforehand. And, and the ten plagues are, are a continuation of what, the, of, what was, of what was before also. I, obviously, it was very different. They were slaves, and now they're free. They had normal, natural law, and then they had this. But, but they're interpreted in the same way. Beforehand, we went about our daily work, and today, God did, God did something special. God brought frogs, blood, hail, etc. Sum up your life. Many years, there was no hail. Now, there was hail. And the hail was from God, of course. In the end, there was even splitting of the Red Sea. That's another event in my life. If you're living it, then it becomes part of your life. You need somebody to come from outside who is only hearing it. That's the point. He wasn't there. And therefore, he's not experiencing it and occasion in his life, but standing outside, the eyes of an outsider, he tells the Jews, Wow. This is something that's never happened before. And I realize now that it couldn't happen before. Ki gadol Hashem mikol ha-Elohim. God is greater than anything else, any power that we've ever experienced. There's no continuum here. It's breaking the continuum. And sometimes, this is an interesting point, I don't think it's even tragic, it's just important to realize, you need somebody outside to help you understand what you just did, or what just took place, or what just happened to you. 
And that's why there's a pasha about Yitro specifically. I think it's also true for the next day, but in less dramatic a form, that Moshe is doing what he has to do, and he's, he's, he's managing. Not well. But Yitro comes and says, this whole system is crazy, you have to change your whole system of judgment. On a much lower level, that's because the point of the story really applies to a lot of things we do. Very often, we will continue b'shigra, we will continue in the, in the habitual way of acting, seeing, interpreting, and understanding. And only somebody who comes with no expectations and no familiarity with the past, surely didn't live the past, he surely doesn't take it for granted because it's the way he's always done things, and he will suddenly make us see that which we didn't understand before. And for that you need Yitro, specifically Yitro. Not Aaron, and not Yosef, Shimon, Ruvain, not any other Jew. It's got to be somebody from left field who comes, has no preconceptions, no invest, personal investment. He's dispassionate, less of a personal experience, but the experience knocks him over. And he has nothing to stand on. And he says for the first time, Birkatanes, which as the Ritziv says, is truly different than other Bachot. It's not a Bachat explaining experience. It's a Bachat to say, all our experiences are, in this particular instant, melt away before the overpowering grandeur of God who has said to us, start anew. Yesh me'ayin. Creation ex nihilo. This has nothing to do with yesterday. This is a new, a new world that was created for you at this particular second. And you have to respond, you have to, respond to that. Um, there are obviously other, other applications for this principle. I think, I think our daily lives is an application of this principle. If you want to know yourself, you can't know yourself by thinking about yourself. Because you don't think about yourself. You live what you're doing. And the only way to sometimes know things about yourself is to see through someone else's eyes. It's one of the major reasons why you have to have someone else with you so that you can see yourself. And that's why God made an Ezer Kinegdo. Only because it's, she's Kinegdo, she's someone else, she's the opposite, is she an Ezer. And it's true in many, many other areas as well. In this particular case, the otherness is the fact that Yitro wasn't Jewish and didn't have the major experiences. These experiences, the experience of Yitziat Yamsuf, of Kriyat Yamsuf and Yitziat Mitzrayim, are formative experiences of the Jews. Anyone who didn't experience it, he existentially is not Jewish. Exactly! Yitro did not experience it. And, but he understood something about it which no one who did experience it could understand. And that's what he expressed in the Baruch Hashem Ashir Yitzilatchem Yad Mitzrayim. Umiyad, Umiyad Paro. What is the purpose of the extraordinary miracles? The ones which are, which are earth-shattering? The answer is, they're shattering. They have to break them. And for the people who live it, it sometimes is not apparent that the mold has been broken. But to Yitro, to he who comes from outside, it's as clear, it's as clear as could be. That those who experience the miracle don't change, don't abandon the framework and the paradigms that, they, that they've experienced 
is the message of an explicit chapter in Tanakh. The chapter I'm referring to is Eliyahu Baharah Kalmel. Very quickly, pays to read the Pasha slowly. But Eliyahu one day says to God, Chazal, in one interpretation, explained that statement, literally meaning, you have turned their hearts backward. What was he saying to God? Chazal said, you are responsible for the fact that the Jews don't worship you. Their hearts are turned away from you, but it's your fault. Why? It's your miracles. In the old days, like when the Jews were coming out of Egypt, they believed in you because... You were there. You were splitting the sea. Everybody believed in you. But you know, now it's been a long time. We haven't seen any of those fancy tricks of yours. And the Jews have to look at the land. They need to make a living. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it doesn't. So they've turned to the Baalim because they don't see you. It's your fault that they don't believe in you. So what does God say to him? He doesn't say this in the Pasuk, but this is what he's saying to him. What does, what does God say to Eliel? Okay, let's try it. Let's do it your way. And Eliel organizes the amazing overwhelming episode of Mount Carmel builds the two altars, one for the priests of the Baal and one for him and he says, no fire, fire will come from the heaven. They spend all day waiting for fire from heaven doesn't come. Eliyahu turns to God and says let's have some fire from heaven. Notice it doesn't come. He has to ask him God doesn't want to do it but he Eliyahu asks again. God says, okay, fire comes down from heaven, burns everything on the and even singes the water that the uh, altar is surrounded by. And what happens right away? All of Israel is there. 600,000 people. Shishim ribo. They fall on their faces and they say, Hashem hu alokim, Hashem hu alokim. Notice that we've stolen that line for the end of Yom Kippur. Hashem hu alokim, Hashem hu alokim. They, we, we would say better, they haven't just fallen on their faces, they're knocked off their feet by the overwhelming power of God, fire descending from heaven, and they say, Hashem will Hashem will Next morning, it's a very dramatic story, it's wonderful, it's like, uh, if we stop there, it would be, Mashiach Kuman. Uh, this is it, you know, like, all of Israel is, is worshipping God. The next day, Ezebel sends a message to Eliyahu, by tomorrow morning, you'll be like them, meaning, like the dead, priests of Baal. She says she's going to kill him. So you'll say, a little bit of politics here, 600,000 people had just exulted in Eliyahu's victory. He has to get on the internet and say, come to my house, you know, let's make a revolution. Let's send this Phoenician queen, Izebel, back to where she comes from. What happens? Eliyahu looks left, looks right. There's nobody there. He flees to the desert. Then God sends him to Mount Chorev, Mount Hasinai, the other mountain. And God says, what are you doing here? And he says, nobody worships you. I'm the only one left. Where were all the Jews? How come there was a lesson from God that miracles don't work? Not for the people who are present in the miracle. They're impressed. They're overwhelmed. They fit it in somehow. They might learn a lesson from this. They learn lessons that God can bring fire. But, but it doesn't it doesn't change their conception of reality. And their conception of reality was that the Baal brings rain and, and God could do it, but He doesn't do it often enough. They go back to the way they were living before. Maybe with extra interpretations. But to turn over 
your expectations, those who are in the miracle are not going to do that. And here, the ultimate of dramatic miracles, the splitting of the sea, so it, it helps the Jews come to Harsinai. It, 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 cha- it makes them understand what the issue between God and them is. But they don't understand it. They cannot understand it as a revolution, as an overturning of their entire natural order and existence. And, but it's important to, 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 yes, to realize that. That God isn't merely responsible for what we experience and therefore we should like Him, trust Him, pray to Him and turn to Him. It's also important to realize that God is way beyond our natural experience, capable, and to a certain extent His very existence overturns and negates our everyday existence. Ki ein od milvado. That's the bracha al-hanes, and that's the bracha that Yidro specifically taught Am Yisrael to see, and Yidro specifically meaning Chotein Moshe, not a Jewish person, not a person who was part of the experience, not a person who was walking with them in the desert, but somebody who came from outside, was shown the facts, was told the facts, and said, and he put his finger immediately on the crucial thing that had been overlooked. True, the Gemara says, Gnayu. It's a shame that the Jews didn't see it. But I don't think they're saying it's a sin. It's, it's, it's understood. It's just, wow, you missed something really important and only Yitro pointed it out to you. Shabbat Shalom V'choltov.